The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me is mostly always is my co-host, Stephen Brown. Yeah, and there's no lag, right? You got there okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all good over here. The first time we talked was taking like 10 seconds for response, and I'm like, nobody has patience for this. And no. so when I just introduced you, I got very nervous at that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we've only got one shot to get this right. Well, we record it last minute, so yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> We used to have a day to edit. Yeah, um, no, we thought that's over. that's way too easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like so, living on the edge, you know? Yeah, so did Aerosmith in the 90s. Yeah. On a song oh, people don't remember. <laughs> so, um, we are in a normal world. Uh, yes, yes-ish. As normal as we can be, but yes, considerably more normal than it has been for many, 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 many years. Yeah, the last week we were talking about, hey, so what are we going to talk about? And we were like, well, there was another episode of WandaVision, which was really good and we can talk about it. But it's like nothing else exploded. It was like comics came out and stuff came out. I had an action figure delivered and the the president is a sane, rational human being that we don't hear from all the time. Yeah, that's the uh, my biggest thing i noticed so far is i uh i I haven't given two thoughts to what the president's been been doing uh i don't have to do that anymore (laughs) it's like uh the people will ring alarm bells for problems you know if he's doing something crazy but it's like uh i don't have to follow it every second like an obsessive crazy person because (laughs) i've been stressed out for four years yeah it's it's so great and i see the, I see people in the media that are used to this, that their business model is built on outrage, trying to stir this up. And it's just yeah. like, no. And no. They're, like, they're like, Biden wore a Rolex. And be like, yeah, fine. Who cares? Like, like people keep making memes of Bernie. They're all funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then- yeah, I um, I I think, because you know, this is what they talked about before all this happened. They were like, what's the media going to do when Trump's gone? Because the, the ratings will tank. And yeah. they will certainly will. Um, but we're about to start impeachment season two. <laughs> so, right. you know, people are going to be glued to their televisions for however long this trial is going to be. Uh, and I, I mean, the, uh, it was like the Washington Post or somebody had an article out that was saying how coordinated the attack was. Right. I feel like that's going to eat up a lot of the airspace. Of yes. Like, yes. And I think the further down the line um, the trial is, the more time they'll have to gather the evidence to be like this. This wasn't just like um, a couple of bad apples. You know, this was a coordinated plan. Fucking <laughs> this thing. wasn't a couple of bad apples that stormed the Capitol. Right, right, right. He's <laughs> on the wall. It was, yeah. it was clearly thousands of people. Yes. Yeah, it was nice to uh, watching the inauguration. Um, I wasn't going to watch it. And I was just kind of looking on Twitter and seeing people make jokes about it. And then I'm like, oh, I, I'm not following what people are saying. I'm just going to uh, turn on the news. And uh, a thing I learned is because I don't have cable anymore is I can't just turn on the news. But 
Comcast gives you Peacock for free. And with Peacock comes with NBC for free. So you can just turn on 24 hour news. And I was watching that and the, I got oddly emotional about it was that the, as it was going on, you know, it it was well done. It was nice. It was strongly put together. But every time they showed a wide shot of the Capitol, I'm like, Oh, look at that building. That's not on fire. Right. And it had already, and it's like, and nobody around, you know, it's just like, it's weird when they do these wide shots and you just see how empty it was. And it's like, they, they shut that fucking place down. Yeah. They were supposed to do this a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Put flags up. It was like, it was funny. They put flags up and it still looked like more people than at the Trump inauguration. Yeah. But it was, Um, so yeah, it's, it's a welcome, welcome change, certainly. And it's like, I mean, everything is still terrible. (laughs) You know, it's like 4,000 people are dying every day. A half a million people are going to be dead by the end of the month. It's like, things are still crazy, but it's like, um, you know, Russia did that huge cyber attack. Remember that back in December or whatever we found out and they'd been in our system since March. And they said, this is like the biggest cyber attack in history. And it's like, we have a lot of shit to fix, you know, but that shows you how bad things are is like, we're all relieved that they're not quite as bad as they used to be. It's right. like, Oh yeah. It's, right. At least that they're being addressed. Yeah. It's like somebody, it's somebody's job to look at that. Who's going to look at that. Like I got, there were two videos that got me oddly emotional is now that the vaccine is rolling out. Um, you and I are nowhere close to getting one. No, but no. we're at the back of line, buddy. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just staying home. Um, yeah. And it's becoming a badge. I feel like it's almost becoming a badge of honor to be, to be like have COVID. I know so many people that had COVID Dave Chappelle got COVID this week. Um, but I, there were yeah. videos of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Patrick Stewart getting the vaccine. And that gave me so much hope. First of yeah. all, I was like, oh, there's a the thing I, I, you know. First of all, I was like, oh, there's boomers. I want to stay alive. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a nice change of pace. I was like, oh, Picard's going to live. Good. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think it's like the vaccine's terrifying still because of how many people are just going to flat out refuse to get it. And it's like, God. hopefully that will be a much smaller number than i'm worried about but if it's 40 percent of people it does the vaccine's pointless you know what i mean it's like it cost a billion dollars to make this thing and we might as well just flush it down the toilet but you know the people nobody gets vaccinated you know what i mean that's if nobody gets vaccinated but if 60 percent of people get vaccinated and stay away from the 40 who won't (laughs) yeah then you know like Uh, i i've lived my life worried about overpopulation i'm not as worried (laughs) Yeah, well, overpopulation, I guess, is a myth. There's a great, uh, it's a YouTube video you can find. And it was this like statistician did this like whole presentation about how like population works and did it in this incredible graph. I think we talked about it before on the show. Um, I can't remember it, uh, but I'm, if you Google statistician in YouTube and presentation or whatever, it'll come up. It was just, it, he just like totally says like overpopulation is just not at, at all a thing. We have to worry see, about, see, <laughs> but it's I like uh, you know, climate change is real. <laughs> yeah, well, climate change is absolutely real and it's man-made. Uh, I, I, I'm dubious about your statistician, especially when you went just Google statistician and YouTube. <laughs> and I'm like, I believe yeah, you'll yeah, get I mean, every opinion that it's ever out. been. <laughs> Why because there are too so many goats to is going to come up. I mean? Video. Wolverine uh, has no, had too no, many. It's like uh, he's a famous guy. 
Yeah, you know, no, this is all sounds like conspiracy theory. No, he's a famous guy. He's a famous guy. His other video is why you Wolverine had too many costumes by a statistician. <laughs> Look, there's yellow, there's brown. Sometimes he has a mask. Sometimes he doesn't have a mask. All right, I found him. I Googled it because we're doing this remotely. I have, I have a inter- I'm literally sitting in front of my f- computer here. His yeah. name is Hans Rosling. I might be pronouncing that wrong. He did a TED okay. talk about it. Okay, it's, TED talk uh, helps. Hans uh-huh. Rosling. Hans Rosling. Swedish guy, I think. I uh, will but it's pump- called the best stats you've ever seen. We could post it. We could post it live, John. You could. Do <laughs> I it have right the now. best stats you've ever seen. All my numbers. All right, but hang on a second. This was 14 years ago, so <laughs> you know maybe better numbers have come out since then. I will post this on Facebook, and if I don't agree with it, I will ridicule you for it. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like we can finally go back to comic and sci-fi news, and it's like. We become this news show de facto just because so much has been happening so fast. And I said, they're the one we've had like one thing like, um, but I stopped by Mr. Wayne's my captain store and my captain's freaking guest of the show. And there's still so much to talk about this show there. Episode three did so much. Oh yeah. And still didn't explain everything that uh, we'll get into spoilers again and uh, yeah. I was just texting Elliot. It was on last week. I was like, do we just become a WandaVision podcast? I mean, the- we did for the Mandalorian, right? It's like, that's the fear is that every week we're, we're talking about the same content, but it's like, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a, we're watching a Marvel movie 40 minutes at a time for six or and eight the, weeks or however long this. And we're watching goes. a Marvel movie. That's a so, mystery. We've never had a mystery before. Yeah, we've never really had anything like this. And um, I I applaud them for kind of like running with this. It's like I was I thought we'd I think we're going to be out of uh, very soon. I think where things are crashing down around us. You know what I mean? It's like I think we're approaching a breaking point. But I was surprised how long they lived in this little like world that whoever I, created. And we are going to continue to live know, in it. We're not a uh, sword or whoever it's going to be. Yeah, we're not out of it yet. The one, the only criticism I've seen so far, I was actually talking to Mike about this last night, is that uh, he said with some of the people that come into the store, there's some people that don't like it because they're like, they're like, what is this weird sitcom thing? I just want to see an MCU movie with a lot of fights. It's like, let's get to the fights. And you have to remind those people, this wasn't supposed to be first. Like you were supposed to have gotten Falcon Winter Soldier. Yeah, you were supposed to have gotten a lot of Falcon Winter Soldier and we saw the trailer and yeah, it's a lot of Falcon flying around outside and Winter Soldier punching people with a cyborg arm and jumping onto trucks and trains and things. And that's what people expected. This was supposed to be second. You were supposed to get the action thing out of your system and then be like, all right, I'm ready for something weird. We're getting something weird right away. Yeah, I think it was. It's interesting. And I think most of those people are going to be, they'll be fine when we're at the end of this. I can't see this first season ending without a big mcu style thing like them using their powers and a big action piece i i just can't imagine that it, we, we're not leading towards that you know right um, it- i don't know if we'll have like a big villain reveal you know it's like presumably she's not just going to fight a bunch of sword agents you know what i mean it's like there's a lot of talk about mephisto right because that's the that's where these babies come from well, and that's that's a crazy thing is is we talked about this a little bit last week is 
vision story is so nuts. And the fact that she's an Avenger, I feel like Avengers more than anything in the Marvel universe touches everything. Like yeah, Avenger, Avengers when it's done well is like Marvel's crossover book all the time. So they're like, hey, there's mutants and there's aliens and there's witches and there's inhumans and there's cows that talk and there's like everything that's in the Marvel universe touches the Avengers in some way. So it could go anywhere. If this was a Spider-Man show, uh, it'd be like, okay, well, it's not going to be mutants and it's not going to be witches, but because it's Scarlet Witch, it's like, yeah, it could kind of, it could kind of be anything. And I was watching a interview with Kevin Feige and they were like, Hey, so WandaVision's out right now. It's doing well. Is there a season two? And Kevin Feige's like, look, all, we told you Scarlet Witch after this season will be in Dr. Strange. Right. And so I feel like not, we're not going to get any kind of ending that would lead us to a season two. We'll get a, an ending that'll lead us into Dr. Strange, but we also might get a definitive ending. Cause I, as you and I agree, this thing, this world is going to blow up. This world is going to collapse. Very soon, I think. Yeah. And like, how are you going to do season two of like, okay, now it's Scarlet Witch and the Jeffersons. Right. Yeah. I think um, I don't I don't need another season, I think, because here's the other thing. Vision's dead. So uh, that vision walking around might just be her animating his corpse, you know, or it could be an illusion or whatever, whatever it is. But it's like he's dead. So unless she's bringing people back to life. Um, which certainly there's precedent in the comics for doing that. She could do that. Um, uh, uh, you know, she's going to presumably go on to Dr. Strange, maybe even the Spider-Man movie, which Dr. Strange, I'm sure will be in that because of Sam Raimi's involvement. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, they could just both go back to the Avengers. Then we don't need repeats of every single story. Right. It's right. It's like this, this show works. It's a massive hit. There's like 10 other shows coming. Most of those shows could probably get second seasons. You know, we could see a regular team up show with Falcon and the Winter Soldier with multiple seasons. And, you know, it's they really can. We could very, I mean, they could do whatever they want. We could very easily see multiple seasons of Loki. Yeah, absolutely. You don't I have, mean, you're telling you, me you don't have to use Loki don't in movies. to follow that guy around. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We've people love villain like three times, four times. Yeah. People love Tom Hiddleston. Right. I mean, they could even recast Loki if they want. They de-aged and him in the comics and made him a kid. He was a young they, Avenger. They made him know? a woman. Right. Uh, so there's precedent for him and certainly, um, you know, to be recast at some point even. So I, I, that's what's so cool about it is like everything they announced for the Disney Plus show is stuff I'm, I'm actually almost more excited for than like the movie announcements. Well, here's the, a question for they're you. They're mostly sequels. Yeah, here's a question for you. Is there anything you don't want from the MCU at this point? Is there anything where you say like, ah, I don't want a power pack TV show or are you so won over that you're like, whatever they want to do? Yeah, I, th- I think there's stuff that I've, I'm, I'm, I'd be less interested in. Um, you know, it's like some of the stuff that's like, what if sounds interesting, but I don't know that I'll care for that as much as I would, I'm going to care for maybe armor wars or something that I'm a little more interested in, but I think they could certainly get to a point where they're making like the squirrel girl show. And it's just like, I don't, I don't care for the character. It's like, uh, I, I have no attachment to the character, stuff like that. We'd have to get pretty far down the list. I think, unfortunately for me, I think I'm, I'd be willing to try everything. Um, I, I've liked everything I've been fed from them so far. So I, um, I think I, I'm like, I'm in until 
there's too much and it comes out too quickly for me to consume it. Yeah, I feel the same way right now because um, with the MCU, we've gotten more than 20 movies and I've I've seen every movie opening weekend from Iron Man 1. I've been in a theater for every single movie. And when Black Widow is finally released, um, whenever that may be, I will be in a theater opening weekend to see it. Um, I haven't done that with all the DC movies, but Marvel's won me over. And I look at uh, I'm a Marvel reader since the mid 1980s, and I've read a lot of Marvel comics and I know a lot about these characters, but never in my life did I buy Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man or Guardians of the Galaxy monthly. Never had any interest. Sometimes there'd be artists and writers I really liked on there. And I'd be like, ah, I'll read the graphic novel when it's done, if it's good. Uh, and I've read stories with them, but I never looked forward to any of those books being on the rack. And I was in the theater for every one of those movies opening weekend and enjoyed yeah. every one of those movies. So, and I'm enjoying WandaVision uh, as much as I enjoyed The Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's very different, but I mean, I agree. I, I, uh, I'll try books if I hear it's a creative team I like or a writer I really like. I so I've I've read most of those books at different points on a semi monthly basis. You know, Jason Aaron did a great Doctor Strange run. I read Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy when um, they collected all that stuff in trade because I missed it the first time around. So I'll read and grab books of like characters I don't care for. Um, but it's, it's all based on, and the same principle applies to like the MCU stuff. It's, I like the creators working on it. I like the decisions Marvel's making and the, in the movies, I like the casting decisions. I like the choices in directors, um, creative direction, uh, the way they adapt the stories. So I think everything I've seen so far, I've liked, I mean, I still think like I rip on Iron Man 3, but it's, there's stuff in, in that movie I really enjoy. Thor the Dark World is a hot mess, but it's like, I still find stuff in that movie. I'm like, well, this was cool. This was cool. Um, yeah. And until, like I said, there's just too much of it to come out. I just can't imagine not being interested in what they're putting out. Yeah. Just like Marvel comics. I'm always, I always have an eye on what's going on in Marvel and, and honestly, DC to a lesser extent, DC has always had characters that you couldn't get me to care about. I think I only read Superman once, and that's when John Byrne was doing it. I never read Wonder Woman. People were like, oh, my God, you have to read the Azarello. Perez. You have to read George Perez. And you know yeah. what? I've, re- I've read a few issues of those. I didn't finish those runs. Yeah. I, you know, I was like, I just don't care about Wonder Woman. And for me, it's always got to be character first. And um, it's character first, then it's story, then it's art. And um, there's so many creators just because everyone's human. There's so many creators where I love them on a book and then they went on another book and I hated it. Yeah. I mean, that's the most maddening thing, right? Is like um, somebody like Fraction's a great writer mm-hmm. and they said he was going to go and do Thor after I think Straczynski left. And I was like, oh man, we went from one great writer to another. And I mean, I couldn't tell you what that, uh, those books were about. I dropped it after maybe the first two or three story arcs. I just wasn't digging the book. And, and then they put Jason Aaron on it. And I was like, great. And now here we go on this huge run that he did. 
and then I think Donnie Coates or Cates. I'm not exactly Kate, sure. Donnie Cates. Donnie Cates is doing a really strong run on Venom, which is going to be the next big crossover. Yeah, I think they're, it's started already. Um, but yeah, he's been writing Thor after Jason Aaron left, and it's been a great run so far. He His first story arc was fantastic. We're most uh, probably halfway through his second story arc, and I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah that's I'm, absolutely true. It's like not knowing... Uh, you know, trusting that the next writer who's going to come along is going to keep the energy alive. It's like, I try a lot of books and you know, I'm within, you know, two or three issues. It's like, nah, this isn't doing it for me. Yeah. That's why I trust character first. I mean, Fraction's a perfect example. I love his Iron Man run, his Hawkeye yes. run, deservedly won Eisner's. Um, yep. I've, I've met him and talked to him and he's a really interesting, smart guy, but Fraction on Marvel, he was a, he was a good fit for half of the books that he did. And then the other ones, it was just like, there were, there were books like, you know, like um, Fantastic Four, where I was just like, oh yeah, I'm like, why, why did you want this job? Cause it, it feels like, it feels like he didn't have a grip and he didn't have a love for those characters. And it's like, you don't have to do everybody. Right. There, you know, if it's, it's like, Dan, it's like Dan Slott. I feel like Dan Slott's the strongest writer on at Marvel because he knows who he likes. Right. Like, I love Spider-Man. I'm going to do 10 years on Spider-Man. I love She-Hulk. I'm going to reboot She-Hulk. I love Thing. I'm going to do Thing. Oh, and you canceled it in eight issues. I love the Fantastic Four. He's on issue 30 of it. But yeah, I wonder Dan Slott's never done an X-Men. He's never done an Avengers. Do you think it's editorial? You know, it's like, I'm sure to some extent, right? It's like, sorry, Fraction. We, we don't have anyone lined up for Fantastic Four. Take a crack at it. And he doesn't have a great direction for the book. He doesn't have a handle on the characters, but it's like, it's your job, so you got to write the book you're assigned. I think you know? a little bit of that. I know it was that back in the 70s, back in the days of Marv Wolfman, the Wolfman, and the Wolfman. Len Wein and Roy Thomas, like the guys who followed Stan had, uh, had their favorite characters and their less favorite characters, and they would kind of trade them off, and they'd be like, you know what? I'm writing Fantastic Four. I don't like it. Do you want to do it? And because there was more of an in-house, I think now because it's a global – world of freelancers i think for somebody like fraction is like fraction's doing a great job on iron man he's wrapping that up and i give kudos to creators now this didn't happen when i was growing up it didn't happen up until the last 10 15 years where creators finished their story went yeah i'm done with this character i mean creators used to stay on a book until they were fired and you look at something like you look at claremont's x-men um which is a high the high watermark of those characters but honestly he was on that book for 10 years after he had run out of ideas yeah it was just like on avengers did this it's like you're on the book for uh you know 10 years too long you know it's like claremont would have been suited pretty nicely to end his run you know at that what fall the mutants and not do the reboot with jim lee yeah i would say even even mutant massacre because as you're right that jim lee run Everybody loves Jim Lee's art. Who talks about those stories? And this is the guy who right. wrote the Dark Phoenix saga. This is the guy who wrote Days of Future right. Past. And um, I think that kind of stuff maybe shows you as like, if it was a little bit more collaborative back in the day, I don't know enough about the origins of either of those stories, but if that's at a time when the artists are having a little bit more say in the story, how much of those kind of that's why that is why Claremont quit. That is why Claremont quit the X-Men because Claremont was writing it for 15 years. And he, Claremont had this idea in his head 
um, whether it was intellectual or emotional, that the X-Men was his. And he did not want to do the New Mutants. He didn't want to do his second X-Men book. He thought it would dilute the brand. But then they said, well, we'll get somebody else to do it. Like Louise Simonson or somebody will write New Mutants. And he's like, the mutants are mine. I will do the New Mutants. And he felt like he almost treated like them like it was a creator owned book. I mean, he knew Marvel owned them and he knew that eventually that would end, but he treated it as it was his. And I think he stayed on it. He stayed on it uh, for longer than he had real love for it. I mean, um, the opposite of that is the, the run as long. I always think of as Peter David's Hulk, right? Peter David, I felt like had um, less of an ownership over the Hulk. Cause I think Peter David in his head always knew Stanley and Jack Kirby created this character and it's Hulk smash. And he had a fucking TV show before I came on this book. Right. Yeah. He was an established big deal. Yeah. He never thought the Hulk was his, but I, th- but when you read his run, if you read his run all the way through and it's like 130 issues, um, it's not one run. Like Claremont was trying to keep this soap opera running for as long as possible. Right. Where Claremont was like every two or three years, he would get bored and blow the book up and reboot it. And he'd be like, OK, uh, now he's the Gray Hulk and he's in Vegas and he's uh, and he's got a machine gun. And then he would do that for a year or two and he'd get bored and he'd be like, ah, you know, now he's the smart Hulk and he's got glasses and he's got Banner's brain. And he here's all these new characters called the Pantheon. and He'll deal with them. And oh, now he's the dumb Hulk again, but he's mean. And um, he rebooted himself a few times. And with Peter David, I felt was kind of like Grant Morrison on Batman, but much, much a longer run. Yeah. Grant, Grant Morrison was on Batman for, um, I don't know, six, seven years. And Peter David was on for 15. But Grant Morrison rebooted his own run three times. Right. Well, yeah. And there was a, you know, they, a time when they did less reboots for Marvel. But that's what I liked about Chris Claremont was he told one story. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It was like many, many chapters, but it's like, that's one story. Magneto has a fucking 20 year character arc in that book, going from the cackling supervillain to fucking joining the X-Men, you know what I mean? And everything in between. So that's what was cool about the run. And he treated like a soap opera. He's like, these characters are going to come in. These characters are going to go out. Right. You You know, when I was reading it, which was after the dark Phoenix saga around secret wars, he was he had written Cyclops out of the book and Storm had taken over and then he found out that X Factor was happening and he wasn't going to be part of it. And he was like, all right, well, you get Cyclops. And now I'm all about Storm and Forge and Storm's lost her powers. And then Rachel Summers. And there were characters he would take for three or four years and then kind of move them sideline, almost as if they were actors. They were yeah, almost like they were actors that didn't renew their contracts. And he's like, all right, well, Cyclops is uh, leaving the show. Right. And who are we going well, to get? Like, even replaced? like he created Carol Danvers and then stuck her with the Star Jammers because he was writing both books. You know, it's like, yeah. so, you know, there's some cool stuff in there that I thought was interesting. But yeah, I mean, those last, like I'll reread Chris Claremont's X-Men run, but I'm probably not going to continue reading after x-men gets rebooted in the 90s you know what i mean it's like with jim lee it's like there's a there's a start there's a stopping point there somewhere yeah there is and it, and honestly it's the beginning of that second title and i have them all in omnibus form and i've I've yeah. all the way through his issues and i've read all the omnibuses and i will probably 
pull them out and read a, a run inside an omnibus and put it back. Or uh, with a lot of it, I'll open it up and look at the art or look for a reference point. You know, um, I know I do that a lot for like, hey, what was Gambit's first appearance? Oh, it's in X-Men Omnibus 2. And I open it up and I look through it and I go, oh, there he is. And then I close the book. Right. I don't think I'll ever read Claremont's run from beginning to end again. Yeah, I, I think it's, it is just something that with a lot of this stuff, it's we don't really get that too much anymore. And it's certainly not to that capacity, right? No. You know, there's plenty of large runs on books. There's guys that knew exactly where to leave, and there's guys that didn't. You know, Brubaker stayed on Captain America too long, but Bendis left Daredevil in like a perfect place for Brubaker to take over Daredevil. So, right. You know, it's just um, we just don't see these like massive runs where these guys are writing this stuff forever and ever. I mean, it's fucking what's and I feel like Marvel's dragon. I feel like Marvel and to lesser extent, DC, I feel like they don't want that anymore is right. I think they get they've learned that they get as much of a bump out of a new creative team as they do from a new number one. Like, look at Batman. I mean, people love Tom King's run. And then right around the nightmares arc, it slowed down. And I was just thinking about our conversation from last week about how Nick Spencer had a really good Spider-Man run that he's, that it's really run down. And you were saying, have you were asking me if I quit it yet? And I'm like, ah, I'm right on the fence about quitting it. And I was thinking, why haven't I quit it? And partially it's because I still have long boxes of Spider-Man and I have Steve Ditko, Stanley Spider-Man's and an unbroken run till today. And that's important to me. That I have like this one ongoing story about Peter Parker and it includes the stuff that's classic history that I heard about and it includes the first issues I bought when I was a little boy and it includes where he is now. That's part of it, but also it made me think of Tom King because I bought – I just got City of Bane in hardcover from Amazon today because I was was waiting for a deluxe edition, but then they put out – a complete collection trade. I'm like, all right, if they put out the trade of this, they're not going to go back and do a hardcover of this. So I bought the two volume city of Bane and I was flipping through it and I realized, Oh yeah. Nightmares got really slow and it got slow enough where DC fired him, but then city of Bane was great. And then city of Bane was great to the point where they greenlit the Batman Catwoman limited series. So he could finish his run. And I feel like, oh, well, maybe that's what Nick Spencer like. Well, if I quit now with this last remain story I don't like, what if in three months he does the best Hobgoblin story that anyone's ever seen? Right. It's like like a fear of missing out. Yeah, there's a FOMO. Here's a question I have for you. Um, Do you feel that reading in the trades is as vital as buying monthly issues? Um, well, I, what I think the, the main thing is, is it's tricky. Like I read comics on a weekly basis and I have been since I was like 14 or whatever, whenever I started a subscription at a comic book store. And I really like that. And then I get turned around and I get like the collected editions, the omnibuses when they're released. And then I typically at least reread it once, if not more than once. What I like with the collected editions or like trades is it's easier to kind of see the whole story tom king's vision is a good example i read that on a monthly basis i really enjoyed it and then i haven't i hadn't read it in since it ended but i reread the trade uh prior to wandavision premiering because i assumed they were going to lift some stuff from the book and i it's a much better read 
as a collected edition than it was on a monthly basis. Because on a monthly basis, the issues are so spread out, you know, 30 days, that's a long time. I don't have the greatest memory in the world anyway. And I, you're also reading, depending on your pull list, 10, 15, maybe 20, I don't know how many comics everyone's reading, but you're reading that many different stories all going consecutively at the same time. So retaining information and remembering all the little details that go into the story, you don't really pick up on until you read it as like one big run. And I remember reading Tom King's vision in trade in one sitting and just seeing how the first issue connects to the last issue, all the through lines through this. There's just a lot more information I think you could pick up when you're, when you're reading something um, consecutively and kind of one sitting. That's a, that's a good point. Cause I do feel like there are two kinds of monthly superhero comics in in the established universe in Marvel and DC. If you're reading Saga, that's a separate deal. But I do, I have felt this way for a while that Marvel, let's just take Marvel as an example, and we can argue whether or not DC does this, but Marvel has two types of stories running at the same time, and it depends on the creative team. You have stories that are that are beginning, middle, and end and read better as a book. Tom King's vision is perfect. I never read it as a monthly because I was like, vision, I don't like the vision enough to buy them every month. Right. Um, but then I heard that the book was great. I got the trade, read the trade in about two hours. Yeah. Tom King's a quick read. He, he, he doesn't sure waste is. words. No. Um, and I was blown away by it. But the other thing is that there are also comics that feel like newspapers where – there it this is what's happening in the marvel universe now and they're bookended by their event books of like some books are exciting the week they come out because you don't know where it's going to go and also oh this happened in captain america at the same time this is happening in thor this is happening in iron man and we're leading up to this big event in avengers and i feel like those comics get kind of watered down by trades because yes. you, because you don't have that wider view. And I've always had this feeling since I was a kid of when I read a trade, it's almost like I'm reading a recap. It's the same pages, it's the same content, but I wasn't there when it happened. Right. And it's it's kind of like buying an old album or seeing a movie on video. You know, there's this quite when you really love it, there's this question of where was I when this came out? Why didn't I why didn't I love this thing the minute it arrived in the world? Right. And I, I do feel like we're still in this push pull where Marvel looks at the monthly sales. It's like, well, we got to go into this um, King Black and, you know, this Venom series and everything's got to tie into it. But then six months from now, we'll have a King Black hardcover. And if unless it's a good story on its own, it doesn't matter if it impacted the universe at all. Right. That my strongest example of what you're talking about, um, this idea of like seeing the events unfold in comics as they happen. That's something that I think this is why I still read the monthly books is I, I'm, I like, I like to be along for the ride. Like to your point, reading like um, old issues of Captain America. I love doing that because I like filling in these gaps of knowledge. Uh, okay. So when Mark Wade was writing Captain America, Kurt Busiek was writing Iron Man and the Avengers, they crossed over and here's what was going on with Cap while he was on this team at this time that I, really liked. So that stuff's great to have that. But what I don't want to miss out on is like secret invasion. 
And this is a great example. The way Secret Invasion unfolded in the comics was incredible. Whether or not you like the actual like crossover and the spill out from it, you know, yada, yada, all the kind of nonsense that goes with any major crossover, the buildup to that storyline was phenomenal. And I was reading all the books that the lead up was going into. You know, it started with like She-Hulk or not She-Hulk. Um, the Avengers go to Japan and they kill... Uh, they accidentally kill Elektra and she transforms into a Skrull. And I remember being like, holy shit. And then the next issue of Avengers, they spend the entire issue just screaming at each other, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? And then we had like months of buildup of like, who was a Skrull and all this nonsense. And it happened in Thor with Jason Aaron. He built up to this War of the Realms. And again, you know, all this lead up was great. It didn't exactly, I don't think, pay off and either of them to too large an extent, but the buildup along the way, you don't, you'll never get that in the trade. I have the omnibus for Secret Invasion. They put out an omnibus that has all this stuff in it. It'll, it won't feel the same way rereading that. You know what I mean? It'll be nice to reread it to be like, oh yeah, this is, this is the story. This is how it unfolded. You know, a couple gems here and there, but it's like that experience of reading it as it unfolds over months at a time was, I mean, that's just awesome stuff, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I think the strongest um, event that I felt that way was DC's Infinite Crisis. Cause that was, yeah. they did this one shot that was like, that was a big deal. They killed Blue Beetle and it was going to kick this thing off, but then it didn't go into an Infinite Crisis. Then they, they did these six months of miniseries and it was OMAC Project and Ranthanagar right. War and, um, Oh God! What was the the Mystery Incorporated one? Um, oh, Seven and, Soldiers of Victory, right? Yeah. Well, no, that was a Grant Morrison thing. This was like with uh, uh, Detective Chimp, and oh, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, he had a he had a book, and that's where they created like Gail Simone's Secret Six. Um, those yeah, that was a great book. Yeah, it really was a great book, and those books were so vital, and they were so exciting that I was buying them every month and i was so excited of where it went and then infinite crisis itself was a letdown and right but but as soon as infinite crisis ended then they did 52 which was supposed to be like this kind of under the radar book but that was the best book they did for like in that entire era right and the the problem is i did buy the infinite crisis omnibus and i was like ah infinite crisis was good but these miniseries and reading them again was like uh, you, you, it's the same point. It's like, oh, okay, well, where's OMAC going to go? And, oh, I know that Wonder Woman's going to kill Maxwell Lord, and that's going to be this big event. And then there's these crisis of conscious um, Justice League issues, which lead up. And But week to week, it was like, what's going to happen next? Got you to the comic store. It doesn't really pull you to turn the page in an omnibus. And it's, right. it's what we're having in streaming now. I was just discussing this. Uh, we were discussing this last week. And I was talking about this with Mike last night. Uh, the thing about WandaVision, WandaVision is driving people crazy because it's like, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. And you and I can discuss, you know, uh, well, this is the Brady Bunch and this is, you know, Mork and Mindy and is, uh, is Photon from the Jeffersons. And uh, we, I, I will gladly spend the rest of the podcast talking about that. But if we had the season, which would be like getting the omnibus. Right. And uh, we talked about Stranger Things and couldn't wait for Stranger Things season three to come out. Couldn't wait for it. Came out, watched it in a day and a half. Can't remember what happened anymore because right. the questions in your head didn't get a chance to build. So if we had gotten WandaVision 
as a season, which would have been like getting the omnibus, you and I would have been like, yeah, I was watching that the first couple of ones and went from black and white to color. And I was like, what, what, what is this? And then I had lunch and then I found out what was going on and now it's over. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, do- it's a good comparison, right? It's like the, you know, right now watching it episode to episode week per week is like waiting for the next issue of a big crossover comic to come out. Right. It's you're wrestling with the ideas of what happened in the last episode. It's speculating and guessing. It's like, it has more time to kind of bounce around and rattle in your brain, which I, I actually like, I, I don't, I don't know that binging is like, um, maybe in like 10 years, they're going to do studies and be like, binging was so bad for us. It turns our <laughs> brains into mashed potatoes. You know, it's like, I, uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying um, just being able to watch one episode and just kind of just ponder it. You know, it's nice yeah. to be able to kind of sit with it instead of flying through this stuff. Yeah. How did you feel about the new episode, by the way? Uh, good. I, it's every episode ends and I feel the same thing I did, uh, b- before I watched the episode was, I'm I'm like where we're going and I'm very confused. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's a very strange space to be in. But, I, I, um, I, again, I again watched this episode twice Yeah, and, and I picked up on the little clues and got no answers. Yes. And I, and I like being in the dark. I, uh, you know, it's like too often, I think because we we've read so many comics and good comic fans in general, you know, my dad never had a clue. Mysterio was a bad guy in Spider-Man and that's the magic of it. Right. Is the, the, not the, he got the surprise that whoever read, you know, Mysterio comics or whatever back in the day would have gotten, you know, this kind of idea of like, you can't, you're not going to catch us off guard with a lot of stuff. So right. It's nice like, to be kept in the dark and be and be with everybody else and be like yeah what the, what the fuck is going on yeah far from home was far from home was perfect because i spent far from home going well he's 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 mysterio and he's mysterio so he's bad cuz he's mysterio and i didn't know when it was going to happen and i didn't know how it was going to happen but i knew it was going to happen and that's uh for people that are less casual fans they don't know if it's going to happen at all and the right. way they're, the way these things are set up like far from home when I watch it again, I'm like, well, if it's not Mysterio, is it just these giant monsters? That's not very satisfying. But with WandaVision, especially because, and we talked about this last week, especially because it's a streaming show. There is no precedent set for this. Right. There doesn't need to be a villain. I was watching uh, Screen Crush, which is a channel on YouTube that's really good. And they're doing an excellent series, by the way, now of – Every episode of WandaVision that comes out, they pull out all the Easter eggs. And yeah, I don't know how these guys get these videos out so fast. It's crazy. Yeah, they get it done. <laughs> they post and, them like Friday afternoon. And it's so well thought out. And there's always like 10 or 12 that I didn't consider at all. There's always like five that I'm like, no. <laughs> that like uh, sometimes it's like, no, that's a sitcom reference. That is not a Marvel reference. But right they go so into depth with this and still they don't, they're not saying where it's what's going to happen. They don't know. Like there's videos of like, here's what we think, but they're not any closer to the truth than anybody. Right. It's like, we're, we're all kind of on the same page, which is nice. And I, I think it, you know, we're coming up quick, I think on a reveal, but um, um, the thing I like is they're, I, it's like the same thing with the comics. I like when the comics dig into the history and I like when the comics, this is why I like, I really like Roy Thomas. Cause he just connected all this mm-hmm. shit. That's why I don't like Roy Thomas. Cause he doesn't do anything else. Right. 
<laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's all he does. He's but, the first uh, insect writer. Um, he certainly is. Uh, bless him. <laughs> but the um, the show is, is going back and they're talking about Sokovia. They're talking about Hydra. She mentions Pietro. It's like uh, that. You know, the that hit me like a fist. There was there was something yeah. about that moment. And, and let's get into details and spoilers. When uh, right. when Geraldine uh, says when she's looking at the the babies and she, and she says I was a twin and I had some Pietro and she breaks and says yeah killed by Ultron it seemed so out of left field even though it's part of this person's history and we've all seen it and that was a major movie yeah um it felt like like super superhero comic books had punched a fist through a sitcom yes and and I was like. Why does she know this? I know this because I'm a comic fan. And it hurt. Yeah. It, it, and, uh, you know, she did an incredible job of the, like that breakdown moment where she's, we were one second, we were like, they're looking at the twins, they're happy. And that next thing, she just said that line, she said, I was a twin. And as soon as she said that, it was like, oh, yeah, like a, like a fist gripped yeah, your game's heart. Over. Just like, oh, shit. And by um, the way, the performance. And, and even, yes. The performance of of, uh, of Geraldine or Monica Rambo in that scene was so good because, uh, like like we were saying last week, I love picking up all the sitcom references and being like, okay, yeah. that's that's the Brady Bunch, that's that girl, that's. Uh, and one of the things I was thinking about the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, we're in the early seventies, and I was like, this is clearly the Brady Bunch, but what other sitcoms were big in the seventies? And the thing that hit me that pushed me out of it was wait a minute in the 70s we're in the late 60s early 70s now the brady bunch ran from the late 60s to the early 70s but it was kind of an outlier of the brady bunch came from that wholesome sitcom sherwood schwartz created it after he created gilligan's island so it had that kind of tone but in the middle of the brady bunch run all in the family comes out and that changes everything all in the family is like a seinfeld moment where sitcoms are pre all in the family and post all in the family. And I'm like, but that was the first gritty real sitcom that talked about issues that pushed the envelope. It didn't look pretty. It was a rundown show it was shot on videotape. And I'm like, WandaVision's not going to go here because she's going with safe, confined, fake looking sitcoms. But, right. Ger but Geraldine's performance in that she was extra sassy when she came in. She was like yeah. snapping and like we're in the second episode. She was very much I'm talking to Mike about this much more subdued character, much more subdued where she was. And he was saying, well, she's not in the first episode at all because African-Americans were not portrayed in the 50s. And in the 60s, she was. But she was written and performed like a white actor. And I was saying to Mike, it's like a horror on Star Trek. She's there and she's African-American, but she's not acting African-American. Like right. if Nichelle Nichols was a white actress, it wouldn't really change the tone of that show. And then in the seventies, in this third episode, she's acting much more African-American. And what hit me was like, Oh, she's acting not like the token black person on a white show. She's acting like the black shows that are starting to come out. Like she's acting like good times. And what was really interesting about that the second time around was it was clearly this character she was putting on to fit 
the sitcom world in that era because she breaks character. Anytime anything gets serious, she drops that character. Right, but it's, Which, it doesn't even seem like she's like she's confused by that too, isn't she? Doesn't she yeah. seem like she's kind of confused? Because even like the neighbors are doing weird stuff, like sawing the yeah, it gets really houses. weird. And, yeah, and it's it's like it's so weird. And Catherine Hahn starts. She's like, oh, she's like, do you trust Geraldine because she's not from here? And then a screen crush gets into this. It's like, okay. Initially, I thought everyone in this town is an agent of sword. And now, especially with the ending, and the ending's big, the ending where it looks like uh, Westview is a real place that she may have, that Wanda may have taken over. It's right, like, there's like some kind of like a bubble or something. Around are some it. of these people, people that lived in the town already? Is this like a, is this a Twilight Zone thing where everyone's trying to right. act the part so they don't get their powers hit on them? Yeah, because it did seem like some of the neighbors were like had some idea that they were playing like a Truman Show type thing. Yeah, it's like it's really weird. So uh, they're all playing yeah, along, but to different extents. Right. And it's I don't know. Not only do we not know exactly what's going on here like this. You're right. This Westview is a Truman Show kind of thing. There's these big fences around. And it's like, is that a force field keeping everyone in? And keeping our powers in, or are those holograms creating this sitcomy fake world? I don't know yet. Right. So this episode made me think that all of the other characters in the town, in the first couple of episodes, we weren't sure if they're real or not. You know, in the first right. episode, we don't know if anyone's real but Wanda. But now I'm thinking, okay, they're real, but do they all have separate agendas? You know, is Agnes does is like each of the townspeople? Yeah, like is Agnes Agatha Harkness and she has one agenda and Geraldine is an agent of sword and she has a different agenda. And like Herb is just a guy that lived in the town. And we see um, we see Dottie and uh, Dottie, who is Anya on Buffy. And she was kind of the mean lady in the second episode. We see her and the guy looks like David Schwimmer with a big walrus mustache. We see them in one scene. So they that was just the show telling us they still exist in this universe, even though they're not part of the right. Which is the thing I yeah, I mean, whatever you're doing, I'm, I'm baffled and completely enthralled by. It's just like they're, they, it's like I just can't believe how good a job they're doing. Yeah, I'm not even in love with my own theories it's about such it. such a crazy concept. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I, th- thing, I think it's like, this. There's but... so many different theories. Yeah, even my own. Like, and I, I think, think that's it's... what's nice about it. I think it's this, but they could throw in a detail that throws it completely out of whack, and I will not fight for my theory. And honestly, right. Right. In, in fandom, that's a rare thing because there's yeah, so many seriously. people. There's people on Twitter right now as we're recording this. They're like, it's this. This is what it is. And WandaVision refuses to let you do it. There's people like arguing about Rise of Skywalker right now. You right. Know, still, and still. And, yeah. And and nothing <laughs> will sway their opinion. They'll be like, Ray was not a Palpatine. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it's so hard to keep people in the dark and keep people guessing these days because it's like, there's so many spoilers where, as we say, they say, don't do spoilers because somebody's going to go on. They guess it, they say what it is. And then everybody's got it. You know, even if you yeah. haven't thought it's, about I mean, it, it's like, I, I was swayed totally by Disney's ability to keep a secret that they kept the season two Mandalorian 
under wraps. Yeah. That alone was a Herculean feat in crushing spoilers. So that's why I'm kind of like, uh, the thing is, is like with Marvel movies in particular, almost from the beginning, we've never really been in the dark, right? Because at the end of Iron Man, they said, we're going to do the Avengers. At the end of Avengers, they say, we're going to do Thanos. At the end of Thanos, they didn't tell us shit. So this is the first time in 10 years we've, we have new material and we don't know where it's going or what's coming. We don't know how this is going to end. We don't know what the last half of this show looks like. The last half of this show isn't going to look anything like the first half of this show. So it's like we're, there's like a, a fastball coming and we have no idea <laughs> you know, where to, where to reach for it. Yeah. We don't even know if phase four has a spine. First of all, COVID threw everything out of whack. So right. we're, we, we're waiting a lot longer for these movies than we were going to. We would have seen the Eternals by now. Yeah. Black Widow and the Eternals, Bucky and Winter Soldier would be over. And we would have, I think we'd be in, we'd be further along in WandaVision than we currently are. Cause it yeah, was I mean, and, to, I think premiere in the fall. And we know we're getting Fantastic Four and that, you know, there are, there are rumors that it's all going to be about Galactus, but honestly, I think that's just people guessing. It's like, this doesn't have to be about anything. We don't have to have a buildup to a big villain. And knowing the way the MCU has run, they could very well be thinking, yeah, we've already done that. We've already had all the right. movies build up to a, a big villain and a big fight in the last movie where every character is in there. To do that with Galactus, wouldn't that just be repeating yourself? Wouldn't it be less interesting right. than game was and i think i had read an interview or saw an interview with feige and he had said something to the effect of or you know this may have changed or maybe i'm misremembering but that they they weren't there was no rule that said this has to be a phase like phase four is that they might just be done with phases you know what i mean it's like if you think about it they announced more content than they've put out so far. So we're about to get double the amount of MCU content that than we've had up to this point, you know, between the Disney Plus shows and all the movies they've announced. And, and yet whatever's in the works that and yet, and yet, been announced yet. And yet no Avengers 5. It's all starting new franchises. Right. And you know, even even the sequels I, we're I getting think, uh, even the sequels we're getting are more minor things. We're getting Ant-Man 3, Doctor Strange 2 guardians three they're not the big big movies yeah i actually think that's going to change though i i you know ant-man three who knows because it's it's still ant-man but it's like i think doctor strange two is going to be much bigger than the first one i think captain marvel two is going to be enormous compared to that first one those first two movies of each of those characters they seem pretty small they're very much just in the marvel formula i think the sequels particularly captain marvel because it did so well at the box office we're going to see just a massive captain marvel movie um, and, and I think anyone that thinks we're not going to get more Avengers movies, it's like, come on, Kevin <laughs> of course Fe we are. No, Kevin Feige, like, like Kevin Feige came out and said we are getting Avengers five. It's not on the slate yet. He, he yeah, said it will happen the same way he said we will get MCU X Men, but not now. Yeah, and and well, that's the thing is you know they did that big announcement and they didn't announce any Avengers movie. They didn't announce any X Men movie. But next door at the Star Wars announcement, they also didn't announce the Boba Fett show that we now know we're getting because of the ending of Mandalorian 2. So WandaVision could end and could say, uh, Wanda will return in Avengers 5, uh, you know, darker than Scarlet or whatever. 
uh, you know, the next Avengers movie is. It's, it's like there's there might be stuff in the works that they haven't announced because it spoils things that are yet to come. That's a good point. They could they could very well announce that there'll be a, a new show that's just Vision because they said Wanda will be in Doctor Strange, but they haven't said anything right. about Vision. And we don't know. We don't know if Vision is real. Like we've yeah, already, he could already be dead. He's, he could still well, be dead. Something... Well, what's nice is, and one of the things I'm hoping for is if you actually watch Infinity War, when he rips the gem out of Vision's head, all the color drains from Vision and he turns gray. And yeah. it's like, so do the white Vision from West Coast Avengers. Do the John Byrne white Vision, Ghost Vision. Just bring him back, take all the color away and use him like that and make him unemotional, make him very much more robotic. Do the reset. You know, it changes up the character. It keeps him around. And here's the thing I noticed in episode three, now that it's all in color, is Vision in his robot form has the Mind Stone. So is that right. just the way he remembers it? There is a shot in the trailer of looking like Wanda's trying to recreate the Mind Stone. Is that successful? Is it a memory of her destroying it in reverse? Is it just part of the- so Is it her getting her powers? She gets her superpowers from the Mind Stone. Yeah, which is weird because all of her powers are red, which are more like the is that the power stone? Power stone is purple. The what was the st- power stone or the red stone was the reality stone. So reality stone, sense, yeah. So, so her powers seem to warp reality, but yet she has. But a, she got them from the mind stone. Yeah, I, I had yeah. read some nonsense on the internet, and I don't know again if this is real, but the, I had read. I, I feel like that could be the, the name of the show. Is I, I read some nonsense on the internet. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> But Loki's staff was used to give Wanda and Pietro their powers. Wanda got the ability to warp reality, so her powers are activated by the color red, right? Which is what the reality stone was from Thor the Aether and how when Thanos used it, it was a red effect. Pietro got speed powers, movement powers, blue from the space gem, the ability to move very quickly, right? So that was like why his running effect was blue. So that's what I had read somewhere was that it's like they have specific powers based on specific stones. And I think there was probably more to it. Like I'm sure they had a reason for wh- whoever used the purple stone or, you know, some of the other ones. Yeah. But well, the, um, the, the thing that throws a monkey wrench in that is that now that Disney owns Fox, it's very easy to go. Yeah. They were mutants and the experiments triggered their powers. They couldn't say mutants before. Yeah, and I've all read that. I've that that Wakanda files that was online all over said that 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 it it activated their latent abilities. Yeah. Um. So I uh, and I think I mean that's the thing. It's like right, how is um the MCU going to introduce mutants? And it's like this fucking show. She could do it. It could happen at the in this show. You know, if she's talking about Pietro and her youth fucking magneto could it's like i don't know if they had fox the rights to those characters when they were how far along this show was in that process when they acquired those rights but fucking magneto could show up at the end of this you know what i mean that's what's so crazy is they didn't have this series yeah they didn't have spider-man when they wrote civil war they rewrote civil war to squeeze spider-man in they can right turn on a dime when they they need to Anything could be squeezed in. I heard um, Fassbender was meeting with Marvel, but not to play Magneto. I guess he was talking to them. Everyone's thinking he's going to be Dr. Doom. Um, That'd be cool. But it's like Dr. Doom was in the Avengers Children's Crusade story arc 
with Wanda and her kids and he stole her powers. It's like fucking Dr. Doom could show up. She could have been, Sokovia could be a neighboring country to Latveria. It's like, well, I've what's always crazy thought is that Joe can do anything. I've always thought that half the reason for getting the Fantastic Four was to have Dr. Doom because Dr. Doom is almost character agnostic. Like once, if you yeah, don't know- his, fight everybody. Yeah, if you don't know his backstory about him and readers, just when I was a kid, I thought he was a Captain America villain. I like I'd seen him fight Spider-Man and I knew he wasn't a Spider-Man villain. And I was trying to decide where he actually came from when I started reading comics. And I'm like, well, he's the most evil guy and Captain America is the most good. So he's got to be a Captain America villain. And it wasn't until I started reading Fantastic Four that I realized that is that Doom can kind of fuck up anybody. But the anybody but it looks like a Captain America villain. He looks like a Doctor Strange villain. He looks like an Iron Man villain. He he's a Marvel like a villain. villain. It's like he is. Yes, he is. The he's the hands down. He's probably the one of the best villains, certainly in Marvel, but maybe in all of comics. Yeah. And it's like and this guy can fight anybody. He's at home fighting the Hulk. It's like he could fight anybody. Well, here's another theory. And when you said Magneto could show up in this. Uh, it made me think of about X-Men. I mean, we're going to get X-Men completely recast. Um, I think yeah. we're going to get all the major characters and they're going to be completely new actors. They're not going to be anyone we've seen before uh, with the exception of Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds is working on a Deadpool three. He's so identified with that character. Yeah. I don't think they would ever recast him. It's going to be rated R. And I think it's going to be a meta commentary on the MCU. It's not going to affect the MCU, yeah. but I think it'll make fun right. of the MCU. Uh, but that's yeah, the only thing that'll survive. What might be actually really cool is if they forced Gump him into the MCU. Yeah, you know what like I mean? they did in the comics. It's like they did a lot of that. In his, yes, exactly. It's like I'm, that I'm excited for, and I fucking could give a shit about that. But here's what I would love, and this is total fan fiction writing. But what you made me think of, um, I would lose my shit if WandaVision ended this way, or honestly, if any of the movies had this, ends this way, if it didn't end with Magneto, if it ended with Professor X, and we spend the next seven years of Marvel movies of him pointing out mutants in the MCU and slowly building X-Men. So when we get an X-Men movie, they've yeah. just been formed. And they would do what Brian Singer did. Way to do it. Yeah, they do what Brian Singer did. They're, they wouldn't do the original five because you're not going to make a fucking X-Men movie without a Wolverine. Like, it'll be his first team, but it'll be Storm and Colossus and Nightcrawler and Wolverine and Gambit. But I would love Professor X to be the next Samuel Jackson and just appear in people's yeah. movies and be like, I want to talk to you and I want to talk to you. And people stopping him and be like, who are you talking to? Well, I'm talking to mutants. Uh, that yeah. because we know we're not going to get an X-Men movie for years and years. WandaVision actually would be a wonderful place to tease that. Yeah. And I think that's what's cool about it is that it, it's the Avengers specifically to your point earlier touches so many corners of the Marvel universe that whatever's coming could be as crazy a surprise as Xavier showing up, Magneto, Dr. Doom. It, they, I mean, they could do almost anything. And but what like if Benedict kind of Cumberbatch just shows up in the last episode and it's a direct link? And I, yeah, and I, and I, I think we'll get him in the show. I think he is, I, I would, uh, I'd be shocked if Dr. Strange doesn't show up at all in the show. Um, just think about what's happening in the MCU in this show. There's a giant reality warping bubble surrounding a small town. Dr. Sh this is his job <laughs> to fight mm. this stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, I would be astonished if he doesn't show He's up. He's got portals um, over but, his house. 
Right. Yeah. It's like he could get to any point in the universe. Right. So it's like uh, I would be, I would be very surprised if he doesn't show up, but I think that's, what's cool about it is that it's, he might not show up and somebody else completely off everyone's radar could, could show up. You know, it's like uh, this show could introduce fucking wonder man for all we know. You know what I mean? It's like they could pull something so far out of left field. We'd never see it coming. There's a grim reaper Easter egg in one of the title sequences. I know that would make you happy. Is there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I love him. In the, in, the black, in the black and white division opening, there's his, his helmet goes by. It kind of looks like Galactus's helmet, but it's got the two spikes yeah. on either side. So That's cool. there's a nod to it, but that could just be an Easter egg. So what is your greatest thing in the world? Yeah, and, uh, so we were talking about this a little before we started recording. I, I got the book a few weeks ago, but I forgot about it because I'm a, a knucklehead. Uh, but every year I keep an eye out for this um, – Alex Ross releases like an art book every year, right around Christmas time, you know, and um, typically they're just sketchbooks, which are uh, incredible anyway, um, just because this guy's like the best comic book artist uh, in modern day. But um, this year was a little bit different. He put out a book, it's called um, Alex Ross Unseen. So it's a 2020 art book and it's full of projects, proposals that didn't go anywhere. So, John, you probably remember when we got that Marvelocity book, they, he had his pitch in it for uh, how, how, how he would do a treatment for the Fantastic Four. Right. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. And it was like all these sketches. He did the costumes and stuff like this. So it's stuff like that. It's like, here's the stuff that he pitched different companies that didn't get made. And, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff in here, um, but probably the coolest is um, he, he actually put together a fucking – this is prior to Disney buying Star Wars. Um, he was working on a proposal, a, um, a DC Star Wars crossover. Apparently this was like around the time that like Mortal Kombat and Star Wars or Mortal Kombat and DC started crossing over. Um, but I mean, he, they had like a pitch for it. It's like, it was like Superman fighting Darth Vader the Thanagarian uh, uh, ships fighting a bunch of X-Wings and TIE fighters. Green Lantern was involved. The Flash, it had like Han Solo running around with Wonder Woman. I mean, he did like actual penciled and then uh, he had pages graphed out with like- uh, panels? He, yes, he had some panels for this. And I guess, I don't think the book, I, I read it when it came out. He has just a little couple notes on everything. Um, I don't think they got, typically far in like the the production so i don't know if any like story elements are in here um but this was like a legitimate thing we almost saw so there's like an alternate universe out there where somebody enjoyed you know uh, a dark side uh darth vader fucking star wars crossover <laughs> do you the know what only, i mean it's like it's just really crazy stuff the only painting i ever saw and you can tell me if it's in this is darth vader fighting superman and superman is grabbing the yes. lightsaber like by the 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 plasma. Is yes, that that's in here. Yep. And then it's got a, a, a like a sequence that's a fight. Probably, you know, uh, you know, it's like a five page or five panel sequence of the two of them fighting where uh, Vader tells Luke he's his father. They're like fighting in that room. And then, I mean, there's a poster he did. It's a Batman and Boba Fett fight. He's got Wonder Woman, Superman and Batman standing with Luke Skywalker, Han Solo and Leia in a mock up for a cover. He's also did, and I don't know if this, but he did it with Marvel too. There's a, the next page has 
the Fantastic Four standing with Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca, and C-3PO facing off against Stormtroopers, Doombots, Doctor Doom, and Darth Vader. Um, and the whole book's like that. It's just packed with designs he did for Spider-Man, uh, work he did for the Beatles, work he did for David Bowie, um, a Captain Marvel pitch, um, just all kinds of just crazy stuff that, you know, going back, you know, the 20 year career this guy's had of just proposals that just never got off the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's been posting some of this on his Instagram, which is where I saw it. And I just yeah. assumed these were things he did for prints and or did for fun. I didn't realize there were story elements to it. There was a really cool print he did. And if I can find it, I'll put it on our Facebook page. Uh, there's a, a, a Star Wars Star Trek crossover. Yes. That's where, in here too. Yeah, like uh, Kirk, Spock, and Bones are beaming in while Hansel and Luke are shooting at stormtroopers. And I just yeah. thought he kind of got into this crossover thing of like, hey, if I do this crossover, I have the rights to everything, I'll put this print out. I didn't realize there were books planned for any of this stuff. Yeah, so not all of it, obviously. Like the Star Trek Star Wars thing, I think was just like, he had this idea and he painted it because he can. But some of this stuff, yeah, this, these were, uh, it's, it's pitch specific stuff. Because that Fantastic Four thing in the Marvelocity book, that's a full pitch for how he wanted to do the series. And he expands upon it in this book and basically says in the book, like, look, they shut comics down for a month. So during quarantine, he just uh, fleshed out everything he would do with the book, kind of like to expunge it from his system. Mm. Um, and so there's all this material about how he would handle their powers, what they look like, and the different characters he would redesign. Um, so if you're a fan of like comic art or his art specifically, this is like just a gem of a book because it's like, you'll never see this stuff ever anywhere else. You know, that's, it, it's never going to be published. They're never going to do a star Wars D DC crossover. It's like, this is the only chance to kind of take a look at this stuff. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Um, my thing uh, showed up on a Sunday, which is not when I was expecting a delivery, but Me the Mezco One Twelve series, which are just, beautiful uh i overbought on them and i've been slowly narrowing yeah. down and thank you again to mike kaplan and mr waynes who's like yeah i'll buy that and put it in the shop um i've had to narrow down but today i got a two-face and i was like you know what I'm, I'm keeping all the batman villains um and the spider-mans and uh this is something that'll stay in my collection and when I ordered, I was like, you know what? He's a major Batman villain. So yeah, I'll get him. He's a guy wearing a suit. So it'll work well with the way they use cloth. But um, it was done really well. The scarred face is just kind of burned in pink. So it's less of that like green, that like crazy. It's um, right. it's not Silver Age Two-Face. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little more realistic, which suits them. And he has the maroon and black suit, kind of that John Romita, all-star Batman uh, version, but the thing that really blew me away, I wasn't paying attention to the accessories and he's got lots of guns and, you know, extra heads with different expressions, a Harvey Dent head, the kind of things you'd expect, but he has lots and lots of hands, which is what they usually do. They have fists and they have open hands and they have gripping yeah. hands, depending on what accessories they had. But what really astonished me was first of all, um, all of the left and right hands had all of the same poses because he's two face. Oh, that's if cool. you want him to have the gun in the evil hand, you want him to have the gun in the right hand. But what really blew me away was the coin. And what they've done with Two-Face figures, if they've included a coin at all, because it's so it's been this tiny small piece that you lose immediately. Right. And it's like I try to wedge it in his thumb and it's like, oh, it falls right out when he's on a shelf and now it's on the carpet. It's gone forever. Uh, so they sculpted the coin in the hand, which was really nice. And they have the classic like holding it between 
the thumb and index finger. But then they have a second hand that holds it between the index and middle finger, and then another one holding it between the index and ring finger. So it's almost animation as an action figure. So you could see him like rolling this, he can be rolling this coin around his hand. And then the final hand, there's one extra left hand and it's the palm straight out and the coin sitting on the palm. That's cool. So you could have, so you could pose him as he flipped it up in the air, landed it like he's calling heads or tails and seeing what it is. And it's so small that you can't see if it's clean side or scarred side. And you know what? I've had a lot of Two-Face figures. Uh, They did a beautiful DC Direct one, which unfortunately I sold and I I can never get it again based on Brian Bolland. And he came with a coin that you could hook onto his thumb and it was clear plastic that they had painted. Oh yeah, I remember this, right? It was a translucent, a flip. So it looked like it was flipping in midair. Yeah, so it had ghost images and it looked like he, he had flipped. That I thought was the most brilliant one. And honestly, I lost that immediately yeah. before I even sold the Two-Face figure. Um, but this like really blew me away. And Mezco, Mezco does put the extra effort in and they're, put, they're putting out a lot of figures and the figures are at least $80 each. Yeah, they're, they're pricey. Yeah, so it can be easy to like to lose track of the thread. And, and, you know, I went through my collection this week and I was like, do I need five Batmans? All right, this one could go. This one could go. It's like the, your, your semi-monthly struggle. <laughs> it is my semi-monthly. I look at my action figure collecting because my comic collecting is well under control now. Thank you very much. Yeah. And nobody buys DVDs anymore. So I'm okay. <laughs> or CDs. Yeah. Thank but God. My action figure collection is like a garden and I have to prune this motherfucker every now and then. I'm yeah, like, it's out of control, John. Yeah, I'm like, I, well, I have to buy figures every week. I figure I realize the, the proximity, the way you read comics every week. Yeah, I, I don't. I read trades every month. So sometimes I read stuff every week and sometimes I read a bunch after three weeks. But figures, man, I get them every week. And yeah, it's that's a lot of figures. It was just nice to, I pre-ordered this a year ago, forgot about it at Big Bad Toy Store, and it showed up, which is always a nice surprise, but also, I didn't really pay attention to it when I ordered it. I was like, yeah, Two-Face, get him. And just those little details made a huge difference, but they made no difference in whether or not I would purchase this figure. Right. They felt like little gifts, which was really nice. Yeah, it's a gift you gave yourself, you know? And it's like we're in like a golden age of action figures, you know what I mean? These things are just incredible now. Yeah, I can't wait for the stilt man wave of Spider-Man yeah. to come out. That's that's the next thing because it's just starting it. Found myself following guys on Instagram. There's hundreds of these guys doing this. Uh, who they buy, they get all the Marvel Legends and then they pose them and there. It's like Kingpin with like five hand ninjas around him. And then here's Wolverine and he's cutting the arms off the hand ninjas and they have like little blood effects and stuff. And it's like, now I'm following all these like yeah. guys who are posting these like professional and settings. They have like sets and stuff that they're putting the Marvel Legends in. And it's like, it's just awesome to behold. Yeah, I follow all those guys. That's most most of my Instagram is that and guitars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like and it's like I'm doing it for this and uh, comic book art. You know, it's yeah. like it's just great. So if you want to let us know what your little gift has been, was it the inauguration? Was it uh, Al Roker's gift? Was uh, Biden giving him a fist bump in the middle of the street? Oh. Uh, 
There are a lot of little nice things today. Let us know what the nicest little surprise you had this week was. And there's ways to do that. You can follow me at Not On My Book on Twitter and Instagram. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics. Leave us a comment, comment on a post, send us a message. And uh, every now and then, if it really grabs us, we talk about it on the show. And Stephen, how do we how do we follow you? And you have another YouTube video up. Yeah, we're we're trying to go for every week. I'm not making any promises because it takes forever to put these things together. So I don't know how these like teams of nerds get these YouTube videos out over at these fancy channels. Uh, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan, and you can find me on YouTube at the Brave Butter Pecan. Uh, we're trying to do an episode a week. We've got two out so far, so we'll kind of see how it goes. And if you want to follow the show. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and Amazon Music. And, or you can go to RadioMisfits.com where you see all of our great shows. And thanks once again to Edward who keeps the whole train running. Yeah, thank goodness. Just click on the Lifestyle tab. You can find everything that we've done for, I don't know. Um, Ed sent us an email and said, congratulations on your 200th episode. We've been at the network for 200 episodes. We didn't notice. No, (laughs) we didn't. (laughs) We did not. I'll tell you this. Our goal every week is what the fuck are we going to talk about tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah, we usually figure it out, though. We We don't look back much. We don't look back much, but we will talk to you next week.